The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome to Talk Cosmos, the show where Sue Rose Minahan and guests unveil astrology's ancient archetypes that continually build the collective experiences in our unconsciousness. Get ready to find your free will from your roots in the stars. Hello, I'm Sue Rose Minahan of Talk Cosmos, and tonight is November 10th, 2018. We're in the third of the Scorpio archetypes. That's the planet involves the planet Pluto, and for traditionalists, Mars. I'm evolutionary, so we concentrate well, we concentrate largely on Pluto, and tonight we'll be very involved with Pluto. And the Scorpion, the Phoenix. The eagle, there's many dimensions, and the eighth house. This week, there's been significant changes that I just wanted to address, just for the interest of all of you, whether you're astrologers or non-astrologers. I know there's a wide mix. And that is, is that we had a new moon on the 7th here in the Northern Hemisphere. Always the next day, it's going to be the following day in Tonight, that's important because our speaker is from New Zealand, and this is via a Skype call, just for your awareness. So there is a new moon. It's 15 degrees Scorpio. That's a fixed sign, and it is trying Pisces in its own sign. So it's a very, that, that's an issue. I'm just bullet, bullet pointing these in a sense. And we may pull them up or not, but it, they're significant. There's a, these changes. The other is the nodes, and that's a, a point, an orbital point between the moon and its orbit around the Earth. I'm pausing here for a moment. I always get this. But at any rate, it just changed from the fixed signs, Leo as a north node, to Cancer as a north node. It lasts for a year and a half. It's quite a cycle, and the north node will be in Capricorn. Jupiter, that travels in its orbit for about a year, maybe 13 months, just changed from Scorpio, the very last degrees, to Sagittarius in its own sign. It's a very significant shift of finding greater meaningfulness always, which Jupiter relishes in Venus and Mercury are significant in the sense that they're both either Venus has been retrograde and is about to go direct and at its shadow point you might say just having reached his last degree 25 degrees Libra and it's going to reverse and so there'll be a lot of retracing that it has been going on since September we're all in looking at our relationships at our values, at our finances, perhaps. But it's a very deep experiential time because these don't happen overnight. Life comes up to us, and there we are. And Mercury will be going into a retrograde and happens to be 10 degrees Sag, which is pretty close to its retrograde point, so it's occurring. Other than that, there's this grand square between Uranus, Venus, 
and the nodes, and instead of being fixed, it is in cardinal signs. So there's a lot of action happening. Well, tonight, bridging all of these factors that some of you might wonder at and others are well aware of, but just to really, perhaps in your quest, look at, I have a great pleasure of introducing our speaker tonight that will be Alan Clay from New Zealand. He's a practicing astrologer for over 40 years with a background as a humanistic astrologer inspired by the work of Dane Rujar, classic, wonderful astrologer. Of And over the 20 years, he's broadened his study of Chiron and the centaurs and recently into the newly discovered dwarf planets. And he wrote a, a book, Sedna Consciousness, The Soul's Path of Destiny. It's a groundbreaking book, essential reading for astrologers, well-written, well-researched, easily readable, and a treasure trove of information and inspiration. I can certainly testify to that. This book, from any level, covers material that is essential. The planet's the aspects, the signs, the houses in such a careful and expansive way with so many chart illustrations. And as you will learn, it's a very significant study of Sedna to begin with. Alan is an international lecturer. He lives in New Zealand, but he travels across the states and gives lectures into Canada and will be very likely also lecturing in India in their next conference coming up. And he's an astrology consultant. So for any of you that are interested, please check Talk Cosmos with the speakers and you'll find all the information there. So we will begin talking of the archetype with Pluto. And hi, Alan. Hi, Sue. Nice to be with you. <laughs> indeed it is. It is indeed. There was so much to cover there that I, I'm, anyway, I'm glad to have done it. And Pluto, Pluto really begins this, uh, this, uh, what's the right word, but this direction, not only for the archetype, but really for Sedna, because it was changed to a dwarf planet, but that doesn't change its power. It really expands it, I think. Exactly. Yes, that's what, I mean, Pluto being one of the uh, the key planets for Scorpio, it's, it's kind of cool for us to talk about it now, but it's 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 been um, it's it's gone from planet to dwarf planet because it's of a size which is the same as the other dwarf planets which were discovered in the early 2000s. So Sedna, you've talked a bit about Sedna. Sedna is the new outer limit of the solar system, and it's a dwarf planet candidate. Um, which um, you know will be added to these this list of dwarf planets when the the relevant bodies sort of get around to it. Mm. Uh, mm. But Pluto is is gives us a I mean most of us know about Pluto and and so it gives us a bit of an insight into these new dwarf planets. Um, dwarf, you know since they were discovered in the early two thousands, a lot of astrologers have have been a bit shy to to use them because well we don't know what they mean. And there's so many of them, and, and we're trying to sort of fit them into our existing sort of understanding of astrology. And, um, I mean, the reality is with any new... M many astrologers believe that uh, when a new 
planet is discovered, it represents a new aspect of our consciousness that's coming into availability for us as 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 a yes. as a species. Um, and and because there's so many dwarf planets been discovered uh, in recent years, um, it it signals that there's a huge change in consciousness that we're going through in these years, and we can see the need for this uh, in, in in the world around us at the moment. You know, um, our old way of life is 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 struggling to to keep pace with the needs uh, of of the modern world. And so these new planets sort of signify uh, these new aspects of our consciousness that that we need, enable to be, live fulfilling lives in in the in the new era that we live in. And and I think the thing with with Pluto is it gives us a, a way to sort of find out find our feet uh, with these new energies because we've been studying Pluto for a good few years now, and so you know most of us understand it. You know, it's a it's a very strong energy in our lives. Transformational, uh, absolutely. It it mm-hmm. does require that. I think that's the basis too of much of what uh, Sedna with the spiritual aspects, which I know will you'll move along into. But it mm. it requires us to realign our our very sense of of spiritual connection with our values of our depth of knowing ourselves. You know, it's such exactly, an exactly, right. exactly, and 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 Pluto's been giving us a, a foretaste of this with with the the transformations that she throws us into. Um, you know, we, we we to grow, we we must transform. It's how it works. Yes, we go we go from an old form to a new form, and in that transformation, we grow, and we must grow to stay alive. Everything must grow. Um, yeah, so the, the dwarf, uh, I mean, the question is, how do we understand, you know, these new energies? How, how can we come to understand it? And really, I mean, at basis, astrologers sort of believe that we, we've got to study the planet in a whole lot of charts and find patterns that sort of make sense out of what it means when it's in a particular house or a sign or sort of an aspect to to any of the traditional planets. It is a study of observation. This is true. There's <laughs> it's a study <laughs> of observation, but we can um, we can get clues as to meaning from from other aspects. Uh, for example, the the physical characteristics of of planets give us an idea of of. Um, of how uh, the meaning of the planet. I mean, it tells me a lot about Saturn, that it's got 62 moons and rings. It speaks a lot about the sort of structuring and and limiting principles of Saturn. And, you know, it tells me a lot about Uranus, that it's got uh, east-west poles yes. and that it rotates around the the sun in the opposite direction to all the other planets apart from Venus. Definitely on its own radar, yep. It's on its own unique path, and that's very Uranian, you know. And so with Pluto, um, I mean, Pluto also, Pluto is actually a binary planet. One of its moons, Charon, is almost as big as Pluto itself. So they spin around one another, and in fact, they spin around a common center point, which is in the space between them, not in the center of Pluto, like our moon. That's so spiritual in itself, and also sent... uh, just to mention Sharon for those mm. out in the audience, that it is the boatsman, 
that you mm-hmm. would go, t- go across the river Styx, S-T-Y-X, I think, if I'm spelling that right. The, I think so. Yes, mm-hmm. when one is deceased, you have to pay the boatman in order to get across. It was an exchange. but So to have Pluto and Chiron, well, not Chiron, Together. but Charon, yes. Charon, yes. Um, Very meaningful. Yes, it's, it's, it's kind of a magical combination. And, and Pluto is also... Its orbit is on an angle to the ecliptic of all the other planets as they revolve around the sun. So it kind of cuts through the normal um, flow of stuff. And this is why it's transformational, um, because it's a binary and because it, it cuts through the orbits of all the other planets and it's, it's angular. And there are, there are two new dwarf planets, uh, Ixion and Orcus, just out past uh, Pluto, that are that are being called Plutinos, and they're also um, on an angle to the ecliptic, their orbits. So they also cut through and have a Plutonian energy to them, uh, in the nature of their um, their power in our charts. Um, and then we go out from there. There's sort of another five uh, dwarf planets: Haumea, Maki Maki, Quora, Varuna, and Eris until we get to Sedna, which is where the planet I've been studying a lot over the last few years and the one I wrote my book about. And um, so just physically, to give us an idea of Sedna, I mean, what the meaning of that one is, if we look at physically like we just looked at Saturn and Uranus and Pluto, um, the, the, I link uh, Sedna with Pholus. Pholus is one of the centaurs like Chiron, and they're, they're bodies that uh, orbit between sort of Saturn and, and Pluto and uh, cut through the orbits of, of uh, those planets, depending on which one we're talking about. And Pholus cuts through the orbit of uh, Saturn and Neptune. So it brings the Neptunian energy into the Saturnian realm, so into the physical realm. The Neptunian energy is the sort of the dreams, the, the more spiritual, the inspiration um, that sort of energy comes into the Saturnian, which is the practical and the sort of the rules and the limits. Structure, yes. And the structure and sort of inspires us. And that's what Pholus is, is to do with um, illumination. And that's P-H-O-L-U-S for those out there. Go ahead. Exactly, exactly. And the thing with Pholus and, and Sedna is that they both have a space weathering process that turns the surface of each of them red. So that's that's as they go th- as they orbit through space, it's the ions from the sun and so on which weather the surface of each of those two um, two bodies, and so um, that's why I link those two together. So I think Sedna has something to do with illumination, just as Pholus does. And the other the other one of the other planets that I link uh, Sedna with is Ceres, and Ceres is a, a dwarf planet. Now, it was an asteroid. It was upgraded to a dwarf planet when they created that category. Yeah, they couldn't decide. Um, it was, took time. I think it was really about one of the first ones, too, that they they realized. And it was a... Anyway, go ahead. Yes, it was a exactly. comet. Yeah. yeah. No, because well, there's, there's a number of asteroids. I mean, there's thousands of asteroids that some astrologers use. But there's four, four main traditional ones that, that people have been using. One of those was Ceres. So anyway, it's now a dwarf planet. And the thing with, with Ceres and um, Sedna, why I link them, is they're both balls of water 
with a skin of matter around the ball. So there, Ceres is said to do with um, nurturing. You know, that's that water. There's a nurturing element, and um, so Ceres is to do with nurturing. So I think Sedna is also to do with nurturing. So it's it's to do with uh, illumination. It's to do with nurturing. And I link it also with Saturn because they both have the same rate of spin. So they same, so they both have the same day-to-day practical perspective, and um, they both speak of limits. Sedna is a new outer limit where Saturn was the limit of our solar system for thousands of years, and we didn't know of any other planets beyond that. Um, now Sedna is the new outer limit, and it's a it's a it's a weird outer limit because Sedna's orbit is elliptical. It's like a comet, so it's closer to the Earth and the Sun at one point, and furthest away at uh, at the full moon phase of, of the cycle. And so it kind of it morphs our our consciousness. It's pulling our consciousness into a whole new understanding of limit, uh, but it still represents limits um, and and um, can be quite a a hard uh, taskmaster um, if we don't understand that, just in the way that Saturn can too. This is absolutely a wonderful approach because it is true that when learning astrology, realizing the physicality of the planets helps, like Mercury being such the messenger to the sun. It's right close. It doesn't leave but one sign away perhaps. You know, to the next, exactly. you know, forward or backwards. But yeah. this fact, but here to uh, the limits, this is fascinating. And I think that the myth perhaps then really speaks of that factor, would you say? It Well, the myth does. I mean, myths have to be interpreted. We often we often look to the myths to, to understand so, uh, the meaning of a planet because myths... Um, carry knowledge sort of across cultures and across time uh, in ways that nothing else really can. And um, planets traditionally are are named after mythical figures uh, and um, predominantly up to date they've been named after um, Greek mythical figures. Um, But Sedna has been named after uh, an Inuit mythical figure. So Inuit is the Eskimo people. And um, yes, yeah, so well, the, the myth, uh, let's, let's go into the myth. It's, it's quite dark, um, but... Um, Except I, that... I, 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 go for I, it. <laughs> yes, it, it, it does have its grim details. This is very true. But on the other hand, it signifies as an allegorical interpretation, such as you do really share in the book, and this essence of what you were just saying about the limits and the new consciousness. So with that said, um, yes, I'm just supporting you. I'll go through it quickly. You're right. So, um, I mean, there are a number of versions of the myths, so I'll I'll generalize a little bit here. Um, But basically, Sedna was living with her father, and uh, she couldn't find a husband. There was no one who was suitable, and it went through various uh, you know, issues and so on. She couldn't agree, or her father couldn't agree on various partners. And finally, a sort of a handsome prince came from a far-off land, and her father gave her to the prince her, her hand in marriage. And uh, the prince took her off to his, his castle, and um, it turned out he was an evil bird king. 
and he imprisoned her in, in, in the castle, which was on top of a mountain in the middle of a lake. And he treated her very badly. And the father got to hear about this, and uh, he came to rescue her. And he, he steals her down the mountain, and they get into a boat across the lake at the bottom. And as they're crossing the lake, the bird king discovers that she's disappeared. And he comes down and, and finds her in the middle of the lake and beats his wings and creates a huge storm. And uh, the boat's about to capsize, and the father can think of nothing to do to save himself except to throw Sedna overboard. So he throws her overboard, and she doesn't want to die, so she hangs onto the side of the boat. Um, and uh, the bird king beats his wings, and the storm continues, and the boat's going to capsize anyway. And so the father takes an axe, and he chops off Sedna's fingers one by one as she's clinging to the boat. So she can't hold on anymore. And then she sinks to the bottom of the ocean and she becomes the goddess of the food supply. And all of her fingers become the, the walruses and the seals and the fish that the Inuit people feed on. Now, the thing that's notable about the Inuits and their, their deities is that their gods are not dead and in heaven like ours tend to be. We tend to think of ours as being sort of disembodied and, and sort of dead to, the, to, the, to the, the world that we know around us, whereas for the Inuits, their gods were alive and present in their world. And so Sedna had to be looked after on a day-to-day -day basis by the Inuit people so that she would send a bountiful food supply to them and not create huge storms so they could, weren't able to go out and, and fish. And um, what I'm... So... Dane Rudger, who's, who's a you know, very famous astrologer, he, he posited that the, um, the outer planets like Uranus and Neptune and Pluto and now going out all the way to Sedna act very differently at the unconscious level or if we're on the spiritual path or if we're at a spiritually evolved level. Yeah? Yes. The energies are actually quite different. And so... Um, a lot of people have been a bit confused by this myth sort of uh, since it was named and, and that people have been trying to interpret it and so on. And it does seem so dark, but my suggestion is that, um, and this is studying many charts to see how it operates in different people's lives, um, is that everything up until Sedna loses all of her fingers in that myth is the unconscious level. And at the unconscious level, Sedna's always trying to send us uh, energies which move us onto the spiritual path. She's always trying to get us onto the spiritual path. And most of us don't really want to get onto the spiritual path. It's a bit of a hard work. And so we'd rather um, just keep going as long as we could with the unconscious lives that we tend to have. And um, so at that level, uh, it, it's all of those, that pressure that's, that the myth talks about. Um, which is all, I suggest, designed to get us onto the spiritual path. Now, the sinking to the bottom of the ocean is the, the spiritual path. It's actually a transcendence of the experience. There's no suggestion that she suffocated in that experience or anything like that. But it was, an, it was, it was a, a descent into the depths that she didn't want to do. Uh, but when she'd done it, she then became a goddess. So it, that's the, the higher spiritual um, um, path, the higher ones, once we're at a spiritually evolved level, there is that higher consciousness. 
which is represented by her becoming a goddess. And she's the goddess of the food supply. So it's, it's a, a bounty, a goddess of bounty. Um, I, I can see how all this really interrelates, not interrelates, but interrelates. And we will, <laughs> exactly. And for our audience, we will take a brief announcement. There won't be any calls because this is a Skype call and it, we're, it's from New Zealand. Alan Clay, author of Sedna Consciousness, and we'll be right back in a moment. take a break from this week's edition of Talk Cosmos, let's take a look at this cycle's archetype. We are currently in the yin period of Scorpio, traditionally ruled by Mars, now ruled by Pluto. By departing a cycle based on comparison between extreme energies finding balance, Scorpio commits a relationship to exchange resources, experiencing power and powerlessness for the purpose of soul growth transformation. As a fixed water sign that is extreme, intense, and secretively deep, Scorpio's passionate nature questions the psychology and mystery concerning life and death. Celebrate your star energy blessings. Schedule a natal astrology chart consultation with Talk Cosmos host Sue Rose Minahan. You'll learn to better understand what personally fuels your soul's seed direction. Sue focuses on your questions to connect you into your unique heart's desire and your true soul path's birth essence. Just $125 for an hour and a half session about your life energies and significant current transits, including a recording and a copy of your chart. Schedule by emailing info at talkcosmos.com. That's info at talkcosmos.com. Hello, this is Kathleen Talevich, Physiosynthesis Instructor, and you are listening to Talk Cosmos on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, hosted by Sue Rose Minahan, every Saturday from 6 to 7 PM. Giving local voices a chance to shine. Alternative Talk, 1150. Okay, we are back. And Lovely. Yes, Alan. Well, I have a couple of comments here at that wonderful uh, story of the myth. I mean, wonderful only because I have always realized that spirit does have its way. I mean, we have matter yeah. and spirit. Uranus and Taurus right now is definitely trying to merge that break that mm. really our mm. whole life is. In, mm. in this today's world of polarity seems to mm. speak of. And the attachments, when I think of, the, as you had said, the attachment, maybe you didn't bring this up, but your book clearly mm. suggests the idea that by us being a, connected to our past life in that old form, that Pluto and all of these dwarf planets progressively, at least Sedna as the outer 
limit, as you're suggesting, wants us to transform, to release, that we have to let go. And so, yeah, yeah and that attachment really is, because that's all that we know. The unknown yes. we don't know. But no. and, and we're afraid of the unknown. So even, you know, the idea of transcending sort of sounds perhaps a bit attractive, but we're, we're afraid of, the, of where that might lead because we don't know where it might lead. So, and yeah, that's right. We, we're, we're attached to our, I mean, and if we follow the myth and so on, you know, there may be a lot of pressure in our lives that's trying to get us to make these transformations. Um, but we, we hang on to what we know because that's what we think is important and that's what we think we have to work with. And it's, it's sort of ir irresponsible just to let that go. And this is why with Sedna uh, experiences, the Sedna experiences are where we're all at sea, if we think of that myth. We're, we're all at sea. We just don't know how to, how to move from this point that we're on. And we tend to hang on to the old. We hang on to the boat in those situations. And we wait for the axe. We wait for those little painful things or big painful things that are slowly going to get us to release that experience. And what we have to do as conscious beings, spiritually evolved beings, is we have to be uh, counterintuitive in those situations. And when we feel a Sedna experience coming on, we have to let go before the axe comes. Um, and, and if we can, it's much less pain painful. Uh, and um, so at the unconscious level, you know, we may experience these Sedna uh, challenges in our lives as victimization, as alienation, as illness, as unbearable pressure, as some sort of blind spot. These are the sort of the key words that, that I think of at the unconscious level. But then once we're on the spiritual path, um, we, we're not freed from it. We're still having these learning experiences. So Sedna sends us these transcendent crises, crises which we just must let go of and rise above. And if we do, we reach a new spiritual consciousness through that experience. So it's valuable, and we have to be a little counterintuitive in our, in our approach to those sorts of experiences. Yeah, it reminds me that it's a matter of addiction, in a sense. I mean, you can have mm -hmm. be addiction to anything, whether yep. it's a substance or whether it's an idea. And yep. there is a, a moment where one wonders isn't there another method? Isn't there another way? Or that joy in life that, and and I yeah. think too with all the, the conditioning and, it, releasing those conditions that it doesn't have to be, um, the same story or the same habits, that that bring up those emotions. And when you bring up the idea that it's related to series of nurturing, because in that story, you know, regarding Pluto, she was the sister of Pluto. And mm. their, her daughter was became the queen of the underground uh, mm. by being with Pluto. And so it is this idea, I think Demetra George brings up the idea, from what I yeah. read, yeah, that it yeah. is where we nurture ourselves because it was famine yeah. until she came back. And, of course, this idea, too, that, oh, I know one other point I wanted to bring up was that with the evil... Uh, bird, bird king. yes, 
that actually yeah. that was like all in the head. Like here it was all in the mind. It wasn't any body. There wasn't any integration. I keep getting focused on this integration between body yeah. and yes, yeah, spirit. So possibly that was how she but uh, needed yeah. to be released from. But the point is, yeah. too, she became a goddess. So all of us have this this evolutionary ability. We do. We, 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 have, we have the possibility to transcend any of these experiences that we're having and reach a new spiritual consciousness through, through, through that experience, no matter how painful it is. Um, yeah. And often, I mean, uh, it can be, it might be illness too. This is another way that Sedna operates. Um, and my suggestion is that, that uh, the, the sudden illnesses are the illnesses that shape our lives, that change our lives in one direction or another. And um, where, where chironic illnesses are all about uh, learning to heal and nurture ourselves, sedna illnesses are also about nurturing ourselves, but they change our lives uh, and, and we reach a new spiritual consciousness through, through those illnesses. So one way or another, Sedna is going to sort of bring some pressure to bear in our lives. Uh, and we can see that from the house position that we, we find Sedna in in our, in our charts. And if we're interested in finding out where Sedna is in our chart, we can just go uh, online to the Swiss ephemeris, look to search for the Swiss ephemeris for Sedna and find where it was when we're born. Um, everyone who's born before 1968 has it in Aries, and uh, if you're born after that, it's in Taurus. So uh, it's coming to the end of Taurus now, and it's about to go into Gemini in, in 2024. Now, this will be a huge change for, uh, for the planet. Um, if, if we, uh, so anyway, it's, 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 it's most instructive to look at the house position on a personal level, but on a sort of a generational level, um, the sign positions are, are really interesting because if we think before 1968, it was in Aries for 100 years before 1968. And Aries is the god of war. And uh, in that time, we had the First World War and we had the Second World War and we had you know, the development of nuclear weapons. And that was the period of, of the wars in our, in our, you know, the big wars in, in our human history. Um, and then it went into Taurus in 68. It was the hippie generation. We had the make love not war movement make love not war it's a huge change that happened at that stage Dramatic. and as it's been it's been going through taurus we've had sort of a real exploration of our of our values and a re-exploration of of buried and, and um, deeper values and a, a, one expression of that has been a, a, the rise of the women's movement you know we've had the women's lib in the 70s and 80s started under the uh, aries said in the placement but um, really took off with Sedna and Taurus, and it's gone right through to the Me, Me Too movement now, where we're really women are coming to the fore, um, you know, and we may be heading into a matriarchal society. I think we're probably transcending both patriarchy and matriarchy now. But um, well, the other thing I link Sedna with is evolutionary change. I mean, it's it's uh, it, another way we can look at the meaning of a planet is looking at past cycles. And with an, Sedna has a, a cycle of 11,406 years. So mm. it's a pretty big cycle. Enormous. And all of, hum, all of human history only occurs in the last six months of that Sedna cycle, so the last 6,000 years. 
is recorded human history. So we have to actually look back at the archaeological record to see. Saturn is now at the closest point to the Earth and the Sun, or almost at the closest point um, in its orbit. And if we look back 11,406 years to when it was at this point last cycle, um, we had the Neolithic Revolution, which is a real evolutionary change in our development. It was the point where we stopped walking around and sort of throwing spears into animals, and we, all over the planet at the one time, settled down and started digging gardens. And this was a huge change for humanity because suddenly we could produce more food than we needed. And in fact, and, yes, I'm mm, also, I, yes, I've noticed on various channels on Nova or Netflix, I'm not sure how my husband listens to a lot of these, and mm. that 12,000 years ago, approximately, so that's 11,600, but mm. 12,000 mm. years ago, they've discovered remnants of food that was cooked. And so they're realizing that, it, which brought it earlier than, than what was recognized, that they're um, solidified, I mean, they're petrified pieces yeah. of food, but still yeah. that there were ovens and this cooking. Of, yeah. Of, yeah. So that relates very beautifully. It, rela it relates beautifully to the goddess of the food supply image. Yes, you know, nurturing. That, that, that the nurturing is actually a key change in our evolutionary growth. And it's only because of that change of nurturing that we, our civilization developed because suddenly people could take different roles. We, we didn't all need to sort of get, gather food every day all the time. Um, some of us could take different roles and, you know, eventually become astrologers or whatever else. And, different and needs. How, yeah, that's like, right. So uh, so I relate, Senator, to, to evolutionary change. And I think we're going through a period of ev evolutionary change right at the moment. And I think this this is quite hard for each of us individually and for society as a whole to, to, to deal with because evolutionary change is just like that letting go of the boat and, and, and transcending the experience by sinking to the bottom of the ocean. Um, we don't know where that evolutionary change is going to take us, and it's scary, and we'd rather go back to what we know and, you know, um, let's make it all great again sort of thing um, in the old way. But we can't actually do that. That's, that's not going to work anymore, and we have to let go and allow ourselves to change. Another thing that I sort of, in terms of the meaning of the planet, and this is, you know, how the change might occur, um, you know, discovery events is another thing that informs the meaning of a planetary energy. And when Uranus was discovered, electricity was um, discovered. And when Pluto was discovered, nuclear power was discovered. Uh, and those are sort of, you know, those are two key energies for Definitely. those planets. Um, and the thing with Sedna is uh, one of the um, discoveries in 2003 when um, Sedna was discovered was the, um, the uh, that was the development of neural networks. And neural networks is uh, what enables robots to think like us. Mm -hmm. So they're based on the way our brains work and um, enables robots to think like us. Now, that that's the basis of artificial intelligence. And artificial intelligence is going to be driving our cars in just a few years. That's the self-driving cars. We're going to have to, they're going to regulate it. So we have to put on our seatbelt and turn on the AI when we get into the car because the AI will drive the car better than we will. And gradually over these next few years, we're going to give AI all of the work that we currently do in the world. 
And that's going to free us up to do other work. So just like the stopping the hunting the animals freed us up to grow gardens and become astrologers and do all sorts of other work. And we're going to have that same opportunity in these next few years with the development of AI. But there's a lot of fear around at the moment, just like there is about letting go of the boat, um, fear about AI and where that might lead. Because the reality is AI, we're creating another life form. It's a life form that's going to be self-sustaining. It's going to be conscious. Uh, and it's going to be my suggestion is that it's it's going to be spiritual because consciousness, I suggest, spirituality is a natural development from of consciousness. And AI will be conscious because it's based on our brains and so we're conscious. Um, and so, uh, you know, the predictions are that by the 2030s, um, we, AI will have developed enough so that we we'll be able to upload our consciousness into an AI. We won't actually need to die, or our consciousness won't need to die within just a few years. Uh, and the, sort of 10 years after that, our bodies probably won't need to die either because of medical advances. So there's going to be a huge change in consciousness coming up, I suggest, with the Sedna in Gemini period that starts in 2024. Um, and that's going to go through to 2068 where it goes into cancer. Um, that's going to be a huge change too when it goes into cancer. Cancer is the sign of family and procreation. I suggest there's going to be huge changes in that area uh, in, in the later part of the century. And in 2076, Sedna will be at its closest point to the Earth and the Sun. And that'll be in cancer at that stage, which is, you know, a sign to do with gardening and so on and so on. Uh, and I suggest that um, climate change is likely to hit the fan at that stage. Uh, if we haven't sort of enhanced ourselves with AI to the point that we can understand uh, how to live on the planet in a way that's going to survive, um, we will likely die out uh, in the later part of this century as a species. Um, and AI, of course, will continue. There will be still a well, consciousness on the planet. It does lead me to think, though, that if we are going to create a tool, possibly if we see it as, as that, and uh, that possibly that tool could help manifest a new direction, a new sense of yeah. a new solution. So it yeah. will be really amazing to, to many, many, many shifts occurring mm. in, in, that, in that case. And I'm thinking, too, of quantum. You know, he said 2003, because the quantum physics has really shifted a lot of the whole Newtonian mm. idea of... of uh, <laughs> Gravity, exactly. everything, right? And so about our view of reality, yeah. Totally. Yeah, right. Shifted. That we mm. affected just by being, and that mm. there is this back to chaos, really, which was the beginning mm. and is the end. Mm. You know, as mm. much as one, mm. I know I'm feeling that sometimes myself, but still living within that. So uh, exactly, yes, yes. No, we're we're embracing. So the, the scientific theories and spirituality are kind of coming together in this yeah. evolutionary change that we're in at the moment, where we've thought of science as being quite something quite separate from spirituality. Now the two sort of lines of thought are actually coming closer and closer together. Oh, and um, you know what's interesting? I just suddenly thought, too, it's very mm -hmm. similar to this whole idea of masculinity and femininity, not mm -hmm. as just, well, basic right down to the two sexes that operate on this in this planet but within mm. each of us these forces 
and mm. what it means. And then, of course, as you were mentioning about the, well, there's all these cycles, whether we were matriarchic before mm. and are transcending mm. from patriarch, not back to what we were, of course, because you can't, but no. this merging of a new awareness. And so, yeah, yep. yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. We're we're coming to a, a new understanding of ourselves, uh, and this this is the hard thing. It's actually hard to come to a new understanding of ourselves, but science is helping us by giving us a new understanding of of our reality. Um, another discovery event that I linked Sedna with in two thousand and three is um, the discovery of uh, dark matter and dark energy. Oh boy, yes, uh, and. Um, the, the scientists, two separate scientific studies uh, proved in 2003 that the universe is composed of 27% something called dark matter and 68% something called dark energy and only 5% of everything around us in the room that we're sitting in right now, only 5% of that stuff is the stuff that we can smell, taste, hear, touch and see. I our was so shocked only, reading yeah. that. That you go ahead, please. Yes. Yeah, our senses can only experience five percent of what's really there around us, and that's quite similar to what spiritual um, people have been saying to us for ages. That, that's right. You know, the one percent veil, can, or whether it's Kabbalah that there's only one percent, or whether it's five percent. Exactly. Yes. That that we're caught in a sort of a mire where we don't see most of what's around us and that some people can communicate with that other side that's right there in front of us and most of us don't see. And so it may be that sort of, you know, Sedna's discovery and the energy of Sedna and the chart is, is bringing us to understand that, you know, perhaps this dark energy that's all around us is in fact sort of psychic energy or spiritual energy you know something that we've sensed for ages but we haven't been able to directly experience and it's it's likely that as sedna goes into gemini i suggest that uh we're going to get more and more of an understanding of this this new view of our reality which is like you say, chaos theory and so on, uh, is bringing us the science and the spirituality closer together. And Gemini with Castor and Pollux of the mythology, because I too recognize the language of these mythologies, is, is their mm. beat or their description of, 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 of consciousness that is the only way to describe it. And so, But there you have a mortal and an immortal that connected to bridge between the two. So that would be perfect. And yeah. yeah, I think of like light and music, music, the vibrational sense of this ever-ending system of, of whether light is vibrational, music is vibrational. You know, there's mm. thought that mm. one elevates and the world is of, of musicality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And these new energies are also vibrational. We just can't, our senses can't experience them, our eyes can't see them, and so they're called dark energy and dark matter. But I'm sure these, you know, in the next set in the cycle of 11,406 years, um, I'm sure these things will come into our consciousness and, and be part of our reality. So these, this is the sort of evolutionary change that I suggest the planet is, is introducing us to.
well, it's a wonderful outer limit. And again, though, back to the outer, the word limit, because mm. there are boundaries, I suppose. And I say mm. that uh, in a spiritual way, one doesn't necessarily think of limits. But here, is this where we, this is our energy within us that we have perhaps outside of that? There's still... I'm not sure what would be beyond that. Again, that poses a whole <laughs> new question. <right? laughs> well, exactly. I mean, I think that's what we're discovering is what is that energy that's outside ourselves and what are the new limits? Um, they're definitely, you know, far beyond the Saturnian limits. So once we get beyond the, 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 the you know, the Saturnian limits, I mean, we can think of, of the Buddha, for example, who was, was able to live a life sort of he didn't need to have a job as such uh, you know um, he was provided for by the universe in terms of people giving him food and so on and so on um, and when we when we step outside the Saturnian limits and into the Sednian limits um, we are we are provided for there is that bounty she's the goddess of the food supply and so we don't need to think of our lives in the same way but there is still a limit there. There is still, we must still be well, devout or we must be sort of, you know, have a, a spiritual consciousness. Um, it's not anything goes. It's, it's, there are still limits. Uh, and we must feel those out in our own lives. But they are far broader than the limits we've understood uh, previously. In other words, it is in a very much way the laws of whether it's nature, whether it's it's mm -hmm. the more karmic or the, the broader um, spiritual mm -hmm. laws. And I'm reminded of a word that I did catch in the book, create. And, to, mm -hmm. and I wrote here, mind has capability of giving a shape or a pattern to energy, continue mm -hmm. to exist after thought left conscious awareness. And so yeah. thoughts are things, which is woo. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So, so um, some people believe that that words have an existence uh, after they're spoken. In fact, uh, and that that existence um, interacts with our uh, with our consciousness. Uh, and you know, I mean, there is a huge th this debate is being played out on a physical level at the moment. In the political realm, you know, where, where there's a lot of talk about words mattering, mm. um, and they, they they do obviously on, on on a physical level we can see that, um, and maybe they have an existence on a, on a metaphysical level too, and maybe that's why they're so powerful. In fact, they don't just come and go. Um, now this is one idea, you know. I mean, we're we're, well, we're having to broaden our our consciousness to to embrace well, some thought, sort of ideas that you know. Are, yes, indeed. And and really, again, back to Kabbalah. I'm not. Well, I I mentioned Kabbalah because I'm fascinated by it, and it does really give this whole idea or this concept of of words, of energy, and you know, it goes back what more than 2,000 years ago, and many of the ancients felt very strongly about, I think, the, the essence of, mm. of, of words and thought. Of course, mm. speaking, and again, that gets to an alignment, but if we create, mm. if we do come from like this material sense of 
thought, you know, manifesting into reality, into form. Yeah. And there's a, there's a, there's a powerful sort of uh, understanding that we can come to through through that sort of uh, meditation. Let's put it that way. Yes. Um, and I think you know there are various of of the other new dwarf planets that are leading us in this direction. I think one of them is is Orcus. So so of the two Plutinos that I mentioned, um, planets that are similar to Pluto, um, one of them is Orcus. And Orcus is all about delving down and speaking out. And um, we, you know, delving down in the Plutonian way where we need to sort of discover the, the underbelly of reality so that we can really understand it. And then Orcus wants to come up and sort of speak out that underbelly so that we can, so that, that a change can occur as a result of that. Uh, so words are taking on a new meaning, not just as a conversational or a communications um, tool, but mm. also as a, as a transformational tool and a spiritual tool. I'd oh, suggest. I love it. I love it indeed. <laughs> yes, there's because exactly poetry, for instance, poetry has a, a, a definition of expanding between the cracks, between the words of the of the finite mm. into some other elusive. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. 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 And that's its beauty. Yeah. I'm going to take a brief moment and remind our audience that next week on the 17th, we conclude Scorpio, Pluto, and our speaker next week is Susie Holbrook, a physician and evolutionary astrologer. And so we'll talk about the evolutionary soul growth consciousness. And tonight is Talk Cosmos with Alan Clay, who wrote... Sedna Consciousness, the Soul Path of Destiny, which is sold on Amazon or through him, probably. Do you sell it yourself? Well, uh, I, I don't, as it's not on my site at all. You can go to sednaconsciousness.com and find information on it, but you're best off buying the book on Amazon. It, I mean, buy it as the ebook. I, I, I promote the ebook, it's the premium uh, edition. A lot of us like the paperback, get the paperback if you want to, but the, the ebook is, is obviously the cheaper. I mean, it's a pretty huge book, and the ebook, you know, you don't have, there's no weight to it when you carry it around. Well, that's true, <laughs> although I will say that it is a really huge, wonderful study because you bring up, I mean, I've been studying now for some number of years in, on various ways because observationally, I, that's been a huge amount of life. I knew what I knew, and I would just, oops, we've got to sign off. Well, thank you. It's a, been a Great pleasure, Alan. I just have loved it's it. It's been lovely. It's just been beautiful. Thank <laughs> you so much, Sue. Okay. Thank you for listening to Talk Cosmos, the show where Sue Rose Minahan and guests unveil astrology's ancient archetypes that continually build the collective experiences in our unconsciousness. Be sure to tune in next Saturday at 6 p.m. to continue finding your roots in the stars. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.